Well, hey, Arbor, it is so great to be with uh, you all today. Um, we are huge fans at Rain City Church of Arbor Church. Uh, we pray for you often and we cheer you on in huge ways. And so it's really an honor to be able to, uh, to speak uh, to you and be with you uh, kind of virtually today in this uh, beautiful community. I remember uh, very early on, um, sitting down with Jake as he was dreaming about what this community could look like. And um, it is so cool to see how God has brought so many of those dreams into reality. Um, and uh, I think really the only dream that uh, hasn't come through, uh, come true yet is that Jake shared with me, which was oddly specific, but, but that's Jake. Jake knows what he wants. You got, you love him for that. And, uh, he, he just told me years and years ago as he was dreaming about this church, you know, as he talked about the vision and the mission and what a community could look like. And then he also added, and I, I would love to, to have, to bring my man crush, Lauren Winter, onto stage and, and, and flog him with a pool noodle. That's a dream of mine. And uh, I just thought that was oddly specific. But, um, but maybe one day that will come true. And um, what's that? Oh, it did. It happened. Okay. Uh, well, dreams come true. God is, is a God of making dreams come true. Congratulations, Jake, on that. Um, Jake and I go way back. We, uh, we worked together at Overlake Christian Church for years and years uh, together uh, a long time ago. And um, he was the youth pastor there. I was the music pastor there. And so my life, uh, or so I thought, was re revolved around worship. This idea of worship, and I felt like um, I knew a lot about worship. Um, and it turns out what I really knew a lot about was worship through music, uh, which is a wonderful thing, but that's not the whole of what worship is. And so really, the more that I've studied and learned about what Jesus has to say about worship, the more that I um, have realized that there is a much deeper definition to this word, to the meaning of worship, what it means to worship, live a life of worship that looks more like Jesus every day. Today I want to I jump together into a, kind of a larger section of scripture in Mark chapter 7. Um, and uh, if you're not familiar with Mark, it's a very fast-moving, fast-paced gospel um, and uh, at this point, the first six chapters of Mark, Jesus has already performed a lot of miracles, and he's gathered disciples and followers, and he's already clashing with the religious leaders. And he is doing something that people weren't, you, uh, weren't able to do as well as him, which is to teach about this God in a way that wasn't follow all these rules, do all these things, and then God will accept you. He was talking about God in a whole different way, in the way that we now call the gospel. And this did not bode well with religious people. So I want to I uh, read together through Mark chapter 7, and, uh, and then I just kind of want to unpack this uh, as a community together. So we're going to be in, in Mark chapter 7, and we'll start in verse 1 here. One day some Pharisees and teachers of religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They noticed that some of his disciples failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand-washing before eating. 
The Jews, especially the Pharisees, do not eat until they have poured water over their cupped hands as required by their ancient traditions. Similarly, they don't eat anything from the market until they immerse their hands in water. This is but one of the many traditions they have clung to, such as their ceremonial washings of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So just a little context here. Mark is writing uh, to... Uh, probably a Roman audience, but certainly a Gentile audience, which just means non-Jewish. And so he is just giving uh, context here for what, uh, what Jewish people would probably have already known. Pick it up in verse 5. So the Pharisees and teachers of religious law asked him, Why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition? They eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. Jesus replied, You hypocrites! Isaiah He quotes the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. For he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. For you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. Then he said, you skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition. For instance, Moses gave you this law from God, honor your father and mother. And anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. But you say, it is all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you. For I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. In this way, you let them disregard their needy parents, and so you cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own tradition. And this is the only, and this is only one example among many others. Then Jesus called to the crowd to come and hear. All of you listen, he said, and try to understand. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes from your heart. Then Jesus went into a house to get away from the crowd, and his disciples asked him what he meant by the parable he had just used. Don't you understand either, he asked. Can't you see that the food you put into your body cannot defile you? Food doesn't go into your heart, but only passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. By saying this, he declared that every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes. And then he added, it is what comes from inside that defiles you, from For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. So big piece of scripture there, but very important piece, because Jesus is going to answer this important question for us today. Where does real worship come from? So today, as we continue this worship series, we want to get down to that question. Where does real worship come from? Because as it is now and as it has always been, religion sees worship from the outside in. So when the Pharisees show up to confront Jesus, they are essentially theological hitmen because it says that they are traveling from Jerusalem. And Jesus at this time is headquartered in Capernaum. This is uh, an 80-mile journey for these people. And they are sent to be the moral police. They've heard that uh, Jesus' followers are not following their traditions and their customs. And so they're going, not, I don't think, to clarify, they're going to correct They're saying, you're doing it wrong, and we're here to make sure you do it right or else. And you will see this pattern happen over and over and over again with the religious people and Jesus. 
Now, um, the, these people have, have, have made themselves into this sort of theological or moral police. Um, and I remember uh, about um, what it's been, I guess, nine years or so when we started Rain City Church. And when we began, I remember that there would be people uh, that would come up and, uh, and they would come to the church and then after church service, you know, I would go out and I would hang out and just talk to people. And there would usually be people that sort of hang until the rest of the people clear, and then they would come up. And um, and I remember uh, that just this went on week after week after week when we first started, that there would be people, they would come up and they would say, uh, hi, how you doing? We'd have a little small talk. And then they'd say, hey, we have some questions about your doctrine. And they would always use that word doctrine. We say, we have, we have questions about your doctrine. And then they would ask questions, and then I would try to answer those questions as best I could. And sometimes they seemed to be okay with it, and sometimes they pushed back. And, you know, and, and then at the end of it, I would then go to more questions about, are, you know, are you looking for a church? Is there a way that, you can get, you know, that we can help you get better plugged in here? Um, and their response was always, oh, no, we're good. Uh, we, we already go to church that will not be named. Um, and so uh, we're just here to make sure that you're teaching doctrine uh, correctly. And I'm like, okay, I mean, are you? let me know how I do on the report card. You know, I, I'm not sure what to say to that. Like, who, who, who made these people in this church to say, hey, go out and make sure that you visit every church and that they follow exactly the way that we see that doctrine should be? That is what is happening here with Jesus. And in no way am I likening myself to Jesus because I barely had an answer sometimes for some of these questions they really wanted to push into. Jesus knew exactly what he was talking about when he was going to these uh, to these Pharisees, you know, and these people that would come in, they had a real Pharisee vibe to them. And even that word Pharisee, we say Pharisee vibe, we don't use that today in a positive way. Whenever we say the word Pharisee, it is synonymous with a negative term, a, a, uh, a closed-minded religious person who is set in their ways and misses the point. That's usually what we mean when we say someone who is a Pharisee. However, the word Pharisee and even the group of, of people known as Pharisees, they, they weren't always bad guys. In fact, they had a really uh, beautiful beginning. Um, it, it all started um, after the Babylonian exile in the Old Testament. And um, I'll let you look that one up, but just to give you a, a very brief uh, explanation. Uh, it was a time when the tribe of Judah was captive in the city of Babylon. And uh, then after the exile, they were able to come back to Israel um, after Ezra, after Nehemiah. And, and then they said, hey, we, we've learned our lesson. We want to be known by our devotion, our strong devotion to God. And so they called themselves Pharisees. And they've got the word from the Hebrew word uh, parash or perish uh, that means set apart, holy, or clean. And so they decided we will become sticklers about the Old Testament law. And not just the Old Testament law, uh, we want to be uh, we want to be sticklers around even protecting the Old Testament law. And that's when things really began to go downhill for them. Because in the Old Testament, there are uh, 613 commands. There are 613 laws that must be obeyed in order to, uh, to fulfill all of them, to fulfill what the 
but the Pharisees said this is what holy living, holy life would look like. And so they were very strict about that. But then they became so strict about it that they began to add uh, what they originally called a fence around the law to protect it, which, they, which is called the oral law. And so they had the oral law with all these additional commands to sort of protect the 613 uh, actual laws. So this is like, uh, for example, like we have a law of like no distracted driving. Um, and so, and then they went ahead and said, well, then you can't use your cell phone. You know, uh, that's distracted driving. But I have literally seen people eating dinner with a fork and a knife on the freeway. But they're not getting pulled over because that's, uh, I mean, it's not a cell phone, you know. Like, th th this, is, this is where they're trying to protect that and saying, okay, well, that is distracted driving. So you shouldn't eat with a, you know, plate and a fork and a knife on the road. You also shouldn't do this. You also shouldn't put your makeup on. You, sh you also shouldn't, you know, be uh, playing banjo, whatever it is. Like, you can't do these things while you're, that's the oral law that's going to protect the actual law. This is what the Pharisees were doing. Again, I think coming, beginning from a good place, but it goes downhill so quickly because they begin to elevate the oral law that was made to protect the Old Testament law to the same level as the Old Testament law. And in approximately about 200 AD, they put all of these oral laws into um, a volume of books called the Mishnah. And... Um, there's all kinds of very strict rules in there about, so for example, Old Testament law, keep the Sabbath. The Sabbath is holy. And so, but then if you go into the Mishnah, you just look at rules about the Sabbath. There's just pages and pages and pages about things you shouldn't do on the Sabbath. Here are just a few examples. Don't look in a mirror on the Sabbath because you may see a gray hair and be tempted to pull it. If you pull it, that would be considered work. This is in the Mishnah. Here's another one. Don't wear false teeth on the Sabbath because they might fall out and you'd have to pick them up, which would be considered work. Don't spit in the dirt because if you stirred it, you would be irrigating, and that's considered work. All of these straight from the Mishnah. Again, they're saying, let's take this idea of, of keep the Sabbath holy, and now we're going to add all these rules to it to try to protect it and protect it and protect it more. If you think these things are crazy, you should see um, some of the rules about cleanliness that, that Mark— uh, talks about of saying their, their, their rules about uh, even just cleaning pots and pans, um, that there are actually 35 pages dedicated to instructions on how to clean a pot so that it pleases God. Because we all know that after dinner, when I'm sitting there trying to, you know, when I'm cleaning up and I'm getting that pot, that God is like, he's like gathering all the angels around. He's like, come on, guys, let's see if he does it right this time. Let's see if I shall be pleased today by the pot cleaning of Jesse. Like, this is the level that they have taken all of these things to, to say, no, we will be known by our cleanliness, by our piety, by how set apart we are. So the really holy Jews not only attempted to keep all 613 Old Testament laws, which is basically impossible, uh, but then they added all of these other oral laws to that, and they would be celebrated for keeping both the Old Testament law and the oral law. Um, in fact, uh, there's a story of a rabbi uh, who was imprisoned around the time that Jesus uh, was doing his earthly ministry. And uh, he was imprisoned by the Romans. And he used his ration of water that came in at, just for ceremonial cleansing instead of drinking. And he nearly died of thirst. 
And then when he was released, he was celebrated and he was regarded as a hero of the faith for his sacrifice. This is a perfect example, a perfect example of tradition gone wrong, of missing the point that God is saying, it's probably okay for you to drink the water to stay alive. Empty worship, the worship of religion, empty worship, divorces the action from the meaning. They believed that their actions of uh, uh, constantly proving their cleanliness is what puts, uh, puts them into God's good graces. And they have completely missed the point. Um, what once was a tradition to help them uh, be closer to God and be known for their devotion to God has now become a, a religion that is made of we want to be known by how good we are, by the good that we do. And according to the Pharisees, you've got to be clean to be good. And this uh, uh, can only be achieved, according to the Pharisees, from the outside in. It's that they would scrub their life in a way so that they could finally be clean, so that they could finally look good. And thankfully, um, you and I, we don't, we're past this now, right? I mean, it's been a couple thousand years. We've, we've, we've evolved. We're all good. This is great. We don't ever have to deal with this anymore, right? More on that in a bit. Now Jesus is going to have his turn to respond. And I hope that like in heaven, there's a video archive or whatever kind of you know, technology they use in heaven, who knows, but that you can just go in and you can just kind of dial up things because I would love to be able to see the way that Jesus responds to religious people because he always knows what to say. I'm one of those guys that like when someone says something or they're mean to me or something, then I'll like, uh, and then I'll walk away. And then two hours later, I'm like, Oh, I should have said that, you know, like Jesus just see, he just always is in control. He always knows exactly where they're coming from and how to best respond to them. He says, Jesus says, worship comes from the inside out. Real worship, worship from the heart comes from the inside out. It is not something that is just about appearances. Why? Because he starts by saying, you hypocrites. Now, hypocrite. Uh, he uses 23 times in the Bible. 21 of those are directed, aimed exactly at the religious leaders. The hypocrite is a, um, is, a, is a theater term. It's an old term which basically means one who wears a mask because that's how actors would do it at that time, mostly uh, men, and so they would wear masks. Um, and so sometimes they would be women, and sometimes they would be Greek gods, and sometimes they would be mortals, and sometimes whatever. But their mask was the one, was the thing that told uh, the, the audience who they were. And so Jesus immediately goes after that idea and say, you're wearing a mask, and I'm not fooled. I see through that. I can see behind that. Because sometimes the greatest theater of all happens on Sunday mornings. Sometimes the greatest theater of all happens in my life and in yours, where we are pretending to be something that we're really not, that we are pretending to be something that is much better or cooler or smarter or richer or stronger or prettier or skinnier or more successful or more popular or more secure than we actually are. And here's the truth. Every one of us 
is doing that. Every one of us is a hypocrite in one way or another. And for many of us, we haven't even recognized it yet. But it's true. Many of us have been doing this so long that we have even fooled ourselves into thinking that perhaps this is true. But at the end of the day, God always knows. Just like Jesus saying, you hypocrites, I I know what you're trying to do. I see past the facade. I see past the mask. Jesus is saying that to us today. He wants us to be honest with ourselves. And I want to, I want to, in, in a moment, I, I want us to give us uh, some time to do that, to reflect, to really get honest with ourselves, maybe some areas that we, we have unintentionally become Pharisees, hypocrites in our life. And then Jesus goes on and he talks about, hey, you're, you're ignoring, um, you're ignoring the, the law. You're ignoring what it says to honor your father and mother. And uh, what he's talking about is something called Corbin. Um, Corbin is a, is a thing that uh, is basically saying, it's a concept that's saying you can dedicate your money to God and then use the church as, as essentially like a, a holding place for your money. Um, and so, but you're, you're basically banking with the church. You can use the money however you want, but, they f- but people at that time, the Pharisees felt like they found a workaround that if your needy parents came to you and said, we need help, then they could say, sorry, all my money is tied up in the church. And so again, this is a huge missing the point moment here for the Pharisees. And he, Jesus is, is calling them out. And then he calls to the whole crowd to come. And he says, all of you listen and try to understand. It's not what goes into your body that, the, that defiles you. You are defiled what comes from your heart. Jesus is saying Again, sin is an inside job that requires an internal solution. Sin is not a taking off of the mask and cleaning it up and repainting and putting it back on. It is a problem of the heart, and so we need a heart solution. There is no amount of cleansing that we can do to get us clean enough from the sin that has, that has, that has wrecked our world and wrecked our lives. It's, it's kind of like uh, my kids showed me this, um, this video uh, a while back, and it's, it's kind of funny and it's also kind of sad, but, um, but isn't all of 2020. Anyway, um, it's like, it's one of those, it's, it's one of those pranks where some, somebody goes in and this kid gets out of the shower, or sorry, out of the, out of the pool. He goes into the shower and he's just kind of rinsing off and he's, and he's shampooing his hair. And then, um, and then they just keep adding shampoo to uh, his hair, so it never gets clean. Check this out. I think that video is so appropriate because that is such a great picture of how you and I feel on a daily basis if we get too far away from the heart of the gospel. The heart of the gospel that says that because of what Jesus has done, we have been made clean. We have been made um, we have been made clean in the sight of God because of what Jesus has done. We don't have to keep going through all of the tap dancing 
of trying to look like we're clean and making a lifestyle out of our cleanliness. Instead, that we get to rest and go out and do life because we know that we are loved, that we are accepted, and that we are called into a better way of living because of Jesus. How many of you need to stop scrubbing your way into God's good graces? That's not even a good strategy. It doesn't work. How many of you need to find rest in that truth that Jesus has already made us clean? He's made us whole. Jesus paid the price. Jesus is the reason that we are clean and holy and we true, find true, real rest when we rest in that today. And then I want to end with this question. How, how many of us are worshiping from a place of hypocrisy? Um, Jesus... Uh, at this point, he, he, he's, he, he, he goes away from the house, or he goes into a house, he goes away from the crowd, and, um, and his disciples are with him. And then they asked him what he meant by the parable that he just said. Now, this is great, and I think that this is, these are just the parts of the Bible, and particularly the gospel, that I love, because it's so human. Did Jesus just tell a parable? Um, no, he did not. He did not tell the parable. He was speaking plainly. He was speaking very plainly, but it was so new and so foreign to his disciples that even they thought he must have been speaking in some sort of code because they didn't yet understand. And Jesus says, Don't, do you not understand either? And then he goes on to explain. I think that's what Jesus is asking us today. He's asking us that question today. Do you understand? Why wouldn't we understand? I mean, we get it. You know, we, we, we seem like a, a, a culture that totally understands everything, right? I mean, we're on top of everything. You go on social media, it is just thousands of experts coming in and bringing their expert opinion on everything. We've got it all covered. And Jesus is saying, wait, don't you understand though? Do you not understand either? I think really it's easy for us, especially when we look at the Bible that a couple thousand years ago, it's easy for us to have that perspective because we have time, because we have the space. Um, and, and even like stuff like in, in my lifetime, you know, that I can look back on and say even when I was younger, like, man, we really missed the point on that one, but I, I didn't know that at the time. So, like, for example, like in the 80s and 90s, like, remember the worship wars of the 80s and 90s? It was hymns versus worship bands uh, and, and, and choruses. Uh, it, was, it was choirs versus, you know, drums. You know, it was um, handbells versus guitars, which was always my favorite. I would... I love handbells, by the way. That's like my favorite thing. Although, I only like to listen to it. It stresses me out to watch. Have you ever watched the handbells? Because you know that that one person is sweating it when they have to put down the bell and do that. And while they're all watching the thing, like that stresses me out. But it sounds beautiful. Handbells versus guitars. Or remember the holiness movement in the 80s where um, that, you know, I grew up as a kid in the 80s and that was where we were not allowed to watch satanic uh, entertainment such as the Smurfs and He-Man and worst of all, Scooby-Doo, which I never got that one because it was always a guy in a mask, right? It wasn't Satan. It was the guy trying to sell real estate, you know, like it's always what it was. And... But we weren't allowed to watch it. And then when it came around Halloween, it was like, well, do not celebrate Halloween. This is the devil's holiday. But 
Invite all of your friends to our church where we're going to have something called the Hell House where we can try to show people what hell looks like and so that we can scare them into a loving relationship with Jesus. This is what, you know, and we laugh at this now and go, boy, we really missed the point. Why do we laugh, though? Because we have time. We have perspective in that, right? It's much easier to recognize the hypocrisy of the past and much harder to see the hypocrisy that's in our own mirror. We're also steeped in our culture today. I think that we are completely missing the point in a lot of things that perhaps we, we, we don't even recognize that we're missing. This is why we're so desperate for God in our world today. Things like, just like the Pharisees, I think there are many things that in uh, our Christian culture today were probably born out of a right place, a good place, a biblical place, a Jesus-centered place. Uh, But they have moved into uh, something else where we are completely missing the heart of God now. So I I just want to take a few minutes, and I want to, as I was uh, writing this message, I felt that there were so many things even in my life that I need, to, I need to really come face-to-face with. Some of my own hypocrisy, some of the places where in, in the culture I, I am elevating what I know culturally over what I'm elevating over what I know about what the Bible says about the heart of God. And so I want us to walk through some questions right now and, uh, and just pause and see, are, are we missing the heart of God in our culture today? Is it important that you pray before a meal? Which, by the way, isn't a, uh, it is not a command in the Bible. It's, it's a great thing to do, you know, like to bless the food is, is a great thing, but it is not something that we are commanded to do. And yet, if you want to watch a bunch of Christians starve, what do you do? You put the food out and you don't pray. And then everyone looks at each other like, are we, are we not, is this okay? But if you say, no, it is very important for us to pray before a meal, and yet, I do not pray in any other point in my life. Do you avoid using specific curse words or using Jesus' name in anger, but casually, casually gossip, slander, and lie? Do you say you value human connection, but never make an effort to show up to social functions? Do you have strong opinions about girls dressing more modestly, but you don't ever talk to boys about learning to control their thought life? You hold back from giving to the church, but you don't think twice about buying something that you don't really need because you got a great deal. Do you think someone is wise for getting treatment for a physical ailment, but think it's weak for them to get medical help or counseling for a mental illness? Are you more upset about which bathroom a transgender person uses, but less upset about the hate, violence, and discrimination directed towards such people on a regular basis? Do you find party and drinking culture irresponsible, but you just sort of laugh off mommy wine culture? Do you easily judge someone who commits adultery, but think little of your own lustful thoughts or consumption of porn? Are you more upset about reasonable gun restrictions than about stopping gun violence? Do you say you're pro-life, but give little to no thought about elder care? Do you complain about corporate sweatshops, but don't stop shopping at your favorite stores? Are you convinced that voting for a specific political party is the way that Jesus would vote, but haven't considered just how much more hope you are putting in our government than in God and his church? 
Are you hyper aware of someone else's hypocrisy, but never think twice about your own? Look, here's the truth. Every single one of us are guilty of missing the point. I mean, you, 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 if you're anything like me, you find yourself multiple times in, in there. You're missing the heart of God because we think that we're doing something that is coming from a good place of worship, but really all we're doing is putting on some kind of a mask to say, look, we're clean, we're whole, we're good. And God is saying, look to the heart. Don't miss my heart in all of this because that is where real worship comes from. Real worship comes from a pure heart, not a good act. And the only way for us to experience a pure heart is by allowing the Holy Spirit to do his work. And that is not always fun, but it is always needed. And we need it more today than we ever have. Are you desperate for the heart of God to be planted inside of your chest? Are you desperately crying out for the Holy Spirit to continue to do the work in your life so that he can weed out the hypocrisy that we're probably blind to? But God is not. He sees it. While we're worried about the mask, while we're worried about living a life in the shower, constantly trying to get clean, God is saying, let's leave all of that and let's just look at the heart. Because that is where true and real worship comes from. But we must allow God to do that work. Let's pray together.